Welcome to Unexpressed, where we express the inexpressible. My name is David White, and I'm the publisher at Whitefire. Over the years, I've had the privilege and opportunity to work with some really amazing people, very talented authors mostly, who have a unique view of the world. Our focus has been on the things that are important and challenging, viewed through the lens of storytelling. Our readers and our listeners are a part of that process. So if you're like us, and you're looking for a podcast that will challenge you and encourage you to challenge yourself, you've come to the right place. Today we talk to children's picture book author Angela Henderson. Her book, Isaac's Ice Cream Tree, was the first picture book published by White Spark. We talk about why she loves picture books, how she brings her books alive when she reads to groups of children, and the power of collaboration between writer and illustrator. We're here today with Angela Henderson. She's the author of Isaac's Ice Cream Tree and uh, another book... Uh, the title of which has Isaac's name in it, I believe, and then I'm blanking on the rest of the title. So, um, But that one will be coming out in a couple of months, or if you're listening to this later, you're probably uh, you're probably going to be able to go find that soon. So um, make sure links are all in the show notes so you can find both of these books if you're in, in the market for a really cool kid's picture book. So, um, Angela, welcome, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yes, Isaac's Ice Cream Tree was out in January of 2019. And then Isaac and Izzy's Treehouse, it should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. So I just did the finishing touches and we are on the last home stretch. So I'm super excited. Yeah, we had a whole run of uh, like kids books, YA, middle grade, all right here at the beginning of 2020. So if you're looking for stuff, there's there's a lot of good stuff in January and and coming out. So um, yeah, definitely go check that out. So, um, maybe start by talking a little bit about yourself. You know, um, lots of people want to say that they can, you know, write a kid's picture book. They seem awfully simple, right? So, um, <laughs> it, it, it's not, not quite as easy as, uh, as we, as it looks when you pick them up on the, on the shelf. So maybe talk a little bit about why, why you can do that and what goes into it. That sounds good. Um, so I am a I'm an English teacher, a middle school English teacher, and um, went to college for English. And um, I've always loved writing, journaled since I was a kid. Um, and I think I fell in love with picture books, honestly, when I had my first baby 14 years ago. I have three kids. Christian's 14. Victoria is 12. And Andrew is eight. So we're um, just kind of at the tail end, eight years old to 10 years old is kind of the quote unquote end of picture books. Although I think picture books are for all ages, if you like art and a good story, but technically picture books are, you know, infant to eight years old. But um, so I fell in love with it, I think, because I grew up doing art and I would go to the library with my kids and we would pick up books and the art was so beautiful. And then we fell in love with the stories and then we fall in love with an author like Jan Brett and um, Karma Wilson. And we go get all of their books and read through all of them. And I think that is kind of what launched me to say, you know what? I'm getting all these ideas by being around my children and being in nature. And I want to write my own. Um and I think just having the background that I did, um, I ended up and being a teacher prior to being at home with my kids, I started a blog and I would feature different children's books that we loved. And um, I would give little miniature lessons for teachers that could they could use in their classroom or parents could do with the kids and kind of just built a following through my blog, um, Kids Book Friends. 
Um, and I don't continue to blog now, but I have that uh, on Facebook. I'm kids book friends and I post still. So that was kind of the, I feel like the birth for me of, oh, I think I want to write a book. And I do think you're right. I think a lot of people will say to me, oh, I want to write a book. What do you do? And I'm like, um, how badly do you want to do it? Because it's a, it's a commitment. It's, I feel like, and it sounds kind of funny, but I think Madeline Lingle in her book, Walking on Water, um, says it really well. It's like a birthing process. Like you really, from the idea, the conception of the idea to the actual writing. And even on this last book, I was just talking to my kids this week as we pulled up the PDF that Rosanna sent of the illustrations with the words on the pages. I said, this is just so amazing to me to see how, you know, Isaac's ice cream tree was birthed so many years ago and now it's a book. And now we have the second one where it's just an idea and then it's words and then it's 15 edits and, you know, meeting with people. And then it's, you know, Rachel Copendrayer does amazing job with the art and then it comes together on pages with page breaks. And, you know, it's just, it's been really a cool process, but it really is a process. And it really is a commitment that you have to be able to handle rejection and rewrites and you're in it for the long haul, like with any other goal, I'm sure. Yeah. And I think that you're where you started was you're in it way deeper, way sooner than that, right? Like what made you, I think part of what made you successful and, and makes your books um, just that it has a little extra something I think that we've talked about before is that you, you Im embedded, you, you embraced, you, I'm sure the word will come to me eventually, but the, the <laughs> culture of um, kids books of the picture books, you looked at them and you saw what has made them made your favorites, your favorites, what has made um, the ones really great. And whether you, you study that and, you know, pick out the in-depth detail or whether it's just from reading enough of them that you, you get a sense for that. Um, that I think that changes the, changes well, the equation. There, yes, it does. And there's definitely mentor writers, like on the back of Isaac's ice cream tree, two of my mentor writers, Elisa Clevin, who is incredible children's book author and Julia Rawlinson, who's um, in England and is a children's book writer. Both of her books, uh, both of those author, their books impacted my children and me. And um, so when they endorsed Isaac's Ice Cream Tree, that was a really big deal because so much of their writing, not me copying it, but me being inspired and just came into it. Julia Rawlinson um, does Fletcher and the Falling Leaves. And that's about a tree losing its leaves and the um, fox trying to help it. And mine is also about a tree. So I, I've noticed that I gravitate towards books with trees, which I found very interesting. I never really stopped to think about that until I started thinking, who would I want to endorse my book? What picture books do I love? And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of books about trees and definitely nature, which is not uncommon, but those are definitely the ones I gravitated towards. So, so uh, for most books, right, you've got, I don't know, a, a regular uh, contemporary romance is going to be, you know, 80,000 to 100,000 words. So you've got a lot of leeway to write a story and, and, and get, you know, build compelling characters and all that. 
with uh, with something like Isaac's Ice Cream Tree, you're doing it with a whole lot less words. So so how do you do that and and make it good and compelling and interesting? Well, that was my hardest. That for me, that was the hardest part. Um, and I admire authors like Peter Reynolds, who wrote The Dot, and authors like that that write books in less than 300 ish words, three to 400, and they're brilliant. Um, I just read that and I'm in awe of the impact you can make in such few words. For, for me, Isaac's Ice Cream Tree was ridiculously long on the first round. It was 1,600 words. A children's picture book, the goal is 500. So I think by the time I went through 15 edits, I think I got it down to 800, which is fine still, but still like cutting those words. And I feel like for me, the more I write now, the better I'm getting at saying less uh, or saying more with fewer words. And I think what I'm realizing, and I, I think, again, this comes with practice, just like any other skill, I'm realizing, okay, this is a picture book. This, what I'm going to say can be said in a picture. I don't need to say it. I can just put an illustration note and Rachel can say it all in a picture. In fact, just looking at Rosanna's last edits, um, I just emailed her today and said, hey, I think we can take out all the words on this page because Rachel's picture says it and it implies that. So let's take those words out. So I think for picture books, recognizing that the words are half of it, but the art's the other half, and it's powerful, um, really has changed the way I write. And it makes me go back um, and look at a picture book like um, Peter Reynolds and say, and count his words and count and look at his page breaks and say, all right, how did he do this? And how can I say uh, more and fewer words? Yeah, that's awesome. I've probably said to you before, like one of the things that I've tried to do, because I know I'll never be a novelist as good as the people I work with, and I don't think I could write uh, kids' books, but so I've, I've taken to trying to write screenplays. And it's a very similar thing when you're writing this, is like, you have to remember that it's going to be acted by someone who puts nuance into it. It's going to be visual, and there's going to be visuals that the, the person running the camera puts into it. And there'll be music, and there'll be all these other elements, so... Saying more with less uh, is, you. I guess you have to realize what the medium is. You know, if you're just a yeah. novelist, then you have to say it all with your words. Um, but even then, some people are not very good at being concise there. You'll see two, three, four hundred thousand word books from from a new writer yes. who goes, I just couldn't figure out how to make it short enough. So yes. <laughs> you should say, go, go write a kid's book and tell me how that works out for you. <laughs> I think yeah. the other thing that's amazed me with children's books is people were like, well, it's just, you know, it's just 500 words and pictures, you know, doesn't that, how long does that take? And it's amazing to me to know the process when I, I remember going to my first SCBWI conference and learning that from the time a publisher accepts a manuscript to the time it hits the shelf is almost two years because of the illustrations and the edits and everything, I was blown away <clears throat> by that. And you just form a deeper appreciation of, um, of the work, of your artists, of the actual process. Um, so, you know, when we hold books, I think my kids and I look at it very differently because we kind of know the behind the scenes, whereas 
before you just don't know as much how what what's involved in it all. Well, and I think that it might be really easy to discount the author, right? Because they don't have to draw all the pretty pictures, um, you know, that, that, that somehow, well, you just write the words and, and someone else makes it makes it art. But no, it's it's definitely uh, harder than that. So I, I'd like to go back to the question that's, I guess, become my feature question, though, with everyone is um, why? why? Why picture books? Why, why Isaac? You know, why do you write what you write? I guess, why do you write what you write has been our, our feature question for this season of the show, if you want to call it that, where we're doing all these author interviews and introducing all you really cool people. So um, so wh why do you write what you write? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And I've enjoyed listening to your interviews. Um, today, I heard your one with Olivia Smith. I went back and listened to that one and loved hearing what she had to say, too. Um I'm thinking that book will be a great one for my daughter with the seeing voices. So it's fun to listen to her response. I think for me, why I do picture books again, is because I love art, but I think that actual Isaac and ice cream tree, the story is very much about looking on the bright side of things. So I end the book by saying, even when the magic seems gone, always remember to look for the rainbow. And on this second book, the theme very much is the magic of friendship. And I think I've been thinking, you know, why is that what came to me? And um, although my first book was definitely inspired by my son, Christian, when he was little and was drawing, you know, sketches at the table and he drew a tree with the ice cream on top. And my comment to him was, man, wouldn't that be amazing if ice cream could or could grow on trees? You know, the whole uh, money can't grow on trees kind of saying. And I said, you know what? anything can happen in a story. Why don't we make it a, a book and you draw the pictures and I'll um, write the words. And, you know, we did that for a church talent show and he got up and performed it behind the scenes kind of thing. Cause he had a lot of stage fright. So I read the words and we made a ginormous board and he, you know, took the pieces and attached it to the tree. So there was a distinct purpose, I think of me writing Isaac's ice cream tree and I never thought of a second book until I thought of um, just I was inspired actually by one of my students. Um, her name is not Izzy, but I was inspired by her. And I thought, man, it'd be so neat for Isaac to have a friend. And this and as I wrote the book, what ended up happening was the magic became more in friendship. And I thought those are really important themes to me, optimism and friendship. Um I think one being an only child growing up, I really valued friends as family, like people would have sisters. So, you know, their friends would be friends. Well, friends to me became sisters, you know, and I was very close friends with boys and girls. And I, and this second book is actually dedicated to one of my childhood friends, Christy Boyer. And we spent a lot of time in her tree in her backyard. And so it's that things like that, that in childhood, you don't, think, oh, this is this is really instrumental in my life, but it comes back to you. And so I think those themes are important to me. And um, I, I just think also, I think I've experienced some significant difficulty in my life, just going through the death of my mother. Um, she died when I was 31. I'm 42 now. So I deeply miss her. And um, I think that was 
very difficult. Um, and then going through um, difficulties in my own family, um, I think has really shown me how important it is that to know that we can't necessarily control what's happening around us, but we can always control how we look at things. We can always have a perspective where we are looking for the bright side, not ignoring the dark side, not ignoring what's happening, but there's a bright side of life. And let's look for that and celebrate that. So I think that's very much who I am. And, um, and it comes out in what I write. I think actually that's really valuable. And I didn't understand how valuable that was until fairly recently, um, which I, I, I've been trying to figure out how to give this advice to authors and creatives and even other business people, but is if you have to sort of define yourself and what you do as what you're not, then maybe you haven't quite figured it out yet, right? Like find what the positive is and figure out how mm -hmm. to define yourself in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, like th that, that finding the positive is, is really valuable and not just finding the positive and saying, well, it's almost like backhanded, right? Like, well, at least I'm not that guy over there. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. like find something to actually be positive in yourself about. Um, right. And that's, I mean, you know, we are talking about a, a kid's picture book to a degree and, you know, a kid's picture book author, but I think that's a lesson we could all stand to like be reminded about. Um, yes. And, and I don't want to like, I don't want to necessarily date this, but even if you're listening to this five years from now, you're probably going to understand like the time we're recording it in where we're all locked yes. at home and doing video conferences and you can't go outside without face masks. And like, it's kind of hard yeah. to, to find the, the positive uplifting side. Um, yeah. We were chatting a little bit just before we got started um, about how things are going with you as a teacher, because you, you were saying, you know, it seems like as you get closer to the end of the year without kids being in classrooms, it's going to start getting harder to, to keep mm -hmm. them motivated. But, but you were looking at this whole thing. You had a really positive sort of take on the whole thing. I don't know if you'd want to say anything about, about well, yeah, that. Or not. I just, yeah. I feel like I was talking to a friend and, you know, he made the comment that this is kind of almost like a reset for the earth, for families and everything. And I love that. I love that, you know, like in the mornings, our routine is so different than it, it, it is when we're rushing out the door and getting to school. And I said to my eight year old, I said, oh my goodness, I'm going to be sad when school starts and we have to be out at 7.15 and we're not able to, you know, do this. I said, we're just going to have to get up earlier. And he goes, yes, let's do that. And just the That's fact amazing. that he's like, yeah, he's liking what we're doing first thing in the morning together, you know, I just, I treasure that. And um, yeah, it gets crazy. Yes. My kids are like, mom, another walk. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, here we go. Grab your bikes, another walk, but um, another walk or bike ride. But you know, I, there's, I'm just like, you know, we get to enjoy spring. Like it's spring here in Texas and the blue bonnets are in bloom. We did our family pictures out there and um, we don't want to minimize what people are going through because I'm super concerned for small businesses, for people's health. So, again, it's not ignoring what's happening and saying, oh, well, 
let's not talk about that. It's no, this is something serious. How can we help small businesses? How can we help the people that are hurting? How can I help, you know, a friend of mine who is alone right now? What can we do to connect? So I just feel like it's never ignoring the negative, but it's how can I help the negative and see the beauty around me that is still blooming. And um, so it's, it's been a, a positive time and, um, yeah, so I'm just I'm thankful for so many things. Um, I actually this this book I just it's probably my go-to book, Walking on Water: Reflections on Faith and Art by Madeline Lingle. And before we interviewed, I was just looking through it again because it's kind of my resource. But I love, I love I was like, man, this is going to be my post today. She says, one act of Thanksgiving made when things go wrong is worth a thousand when things go well. And I'm like, that is. That's kind of where we are. Yeah, I think you're right. Like that could just be it. That that's almost a mic drop. <laughs> so yep. What also got my attention? So it was your eight year old who said, um, "You know, we should just get up <laughs> earlier and and keep doing this, right?" Like, yeah. H- how perceptive is that? Recognizing we don't have to stop doing the good thing just because our life goes back the other way. Right, and uh, that's what I'm hoping happens through all this family dinners, things like that, that are so precious. Um, reading children's books to our children because we're not running everywhere. Wow. You know, that's great. You see, I have been so encouraged to see almost every day I have posted on my kids book friends an author doing their own book as a read aloud. And I just watched Peter Reynolds this morning. I watched Carmen Wilson yesterday. Um, you know, Jennifer Garner has is posting every day a, a new uh, actor or actress reading a children's book. It's just been fantastic. Oh, I to didn't be know read. about that one. We should, yeah, we should like I've share been, that one with our on our page or something. That's cool. It's been it's been wonderful, and um, so it's a whole movement. And I just am loving that being able to um, enjoy you know a connection with authors and books in a way that you know, I don't necessarily do on a daily basis for sure when I'm in school. I'm trying to think of who I was, was chatting with. It was definitely in Hannah's podcast. Maybe it was you. I don't remember. I don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who I was chatting with. And it was talking about how one of the stories I recounted was that I, I lost a teaching job. It like during my college years, I didn't get it because I'm, I'm absolutely certain because they asked me the question, what would you do with behavioral problems in your classroom? And I went, uh-huh. I don't know. I'm here to teach, not not do oh, discipline. No. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you had to make it up on the fly. I hadn't thought about that. I, I wasn't, a, you know, an education major or anything like that, where they, they warn you about <laughs> problems in the classroom. And I think, like, I, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just different now with the way things are. I, you know, you don't have to obviously deal with that. All the, all you parents, anyone listening going, yeah, behavioral <laughs> problems. I'm having to learn now. You should exactly. be, you should be very thankful <laughs> to the way teachers can, can handle, can handle uh, that. Yeah. Now yeah, imagine there's 25 of them and not just a, a handful in, in, in your house. So, uh, uh, so, I'm not sure. Yeah, sorry. It just was a weird picture going through my head. Anyway, I don't know where to go from there. (laughs) That's a hard one to follow, but I totally get it. Having 130 students. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's almost maniacal after like, oh, yeah. Yeah. 
they're your problem now <laughs> for a little while. Oh, but I will say I do miss them a lot. Oh my goodness, I do. <laughs> Even when they're troublesome and um, I do. I do. Yep. I, it is hard to teach to a screen. I feed off of their responses and their humor. And um, yeah, so it's it's challenging to teach to my computer and send it to them. But, it, you know. Yeah, so I would say that you, more than a lot of authors, particularly the ones that we've interviewed, I don't know that there have been any that um, are quite like you in this, like they're all definitely like full blown introverts. Like they're happy being on the yeah. screen. Well, not like, no, they're not happy being on the screen. Um, but they would rather this than like be up in, in front of people. So, uh, yeah, like, well, I'll uh, tell you, it's really yeah. helped me with school visits because, um, as soon as this book came out, like my drive was okay. Introduce me to librarians. I want to go to schools and read to the kids. And I have loved that part. But I have really, after I leave, I am so extroverted. And after I leave, I'm even tired. So I think about those authors that are introverts. And I'm like, whoo, this must be a killer for them. Because I love it. Um, it's just been fantastic. I usually do two reads of the book and do an author meet and greet at schools. And um, I mean, they'll pack a couple hundred kids in there and I'll have kids and they'll say, you know, where do you want them to sit? I'm like, as close to me as possible. And they'll sit right at my feet. I had, it was so cute. I had a kid play with my shoes, like scratch my shoes and I had little beads on my jeans and she's rubbing my jeans while I'm doing this. I love every second of it. And I love, I'll take a confetti balloon and blow it up at the end and pop it and have all the colorful confetti come down when I say the quote, you know, even when the magic is gone, always remember to look for the rainbow and the kids kind of get in for the confetti and they take it back and glue it on their coloring sheets. I eat all of that up so much. Uh, and then I usually go back to my middle school kids and I say, I got my fix. I got my hugs. I got all of that in. I got my coloring. They're like, whoa, thank goodness, Miss Henderson, because I don't know about all this hugging and all this. So it's it's just been a really fun thing for me, not just to write, but I think what I love is now I have something to share and I have a message that's, you know, helps kids to say, and when I teach when I talk to kids at school, I love saying to them, you know, whatever um whatever you're going through, there is a bright side. Like we have to find that. Sometimes it's hard to see a rainbow. Sometimes they're bright and they fill the sky. Sometimes they're high, they're really hidden and they're very faint and they're, you know, and I love talking to them about that. And I also love talking to them about the process. So one of the things I do in the presentation is I have a um, rocks that are, um, different shapes and it's the whole process of building the heart. So it's just a clump rock. And then the next one's chiseled just a little bit. And then the next one forms a heart. And then the next one's like more and more um, shaped till the, till it's like a perfect heart. And then it's painted red and it says inspire. And I love talking to kids and say, you know, and saying to them, you know, the word process and how writing is a process, you know, it starts off with an idea. And it takes a long time to hold it. And then I hold up the book to get to this. 
But then I can relate it to them and say, what are you guys in the process of doing? How many of you are, you know, I usually start by asking, tell me something you are practicing right now, basketball, gymnastics, horseback riding, how to read. And they just shout out all kinds of fun things, how to play the piano. And we talk about how it's a process and not to give up if it's something you really want. So um, being in the schools with my book, I love when schools will have me. It has just been the absolute delight. So while you were talking, I had the thought of one of the things I would like to ask people to do, and I will do that in a second. It would be to like, you know, if you have primary school age children, talk to your librarian and see whether they're they would be interested in in having you come in some capacity. That but I didn't that I would love that more than anything. Like I would love that, especially now that I can do Zoom calls into schools, FaceTime calls into schools, get into the schools. That to me, if someone connects me with a librarian, it's the best gift ever. And all I need is for them to tell the librarian about me and connect me by email. And then I have a whole system that we go from there just to kind of make it easy for the librarian to get me there and get things, get the ball rolling. It has been a really smooth process. I wasn't sure how it was going to go that first school I did back in, well, last spring. And it, it just gets smoother and smoother. And, and I just love it. And it's been, I'm getting really good feedback from um, feedback from librarians and that is, and teachers and, oh, and it was interesting because you mentioned how the message of the children's book isn't just for children. I got a Facebook post of a mom who posted her kid, her little son, who I remember like in the meet author meet and greet holding the book up. And she says, I was reading this book with my son today because the author came to the school. And it's funny how God will speak to you through a children's book because it just reminds me to look for the good in the day. And so it was so encouraging to me because here's a mom posting about something she got from it because her kid was reading it. Well, that happens to me all the time through, through children's books. But it's nice to know that normal people it happens to because sometimes I feel like I'm just a little extra when it comes to loving children's books. But Getting into schools, connecting with kids, ultimately connecting with parents, it, it means the world to me. And that is definitely, um, definitely my goal. Yeah. So another thing I might ask you to do, and you can feel free to, to, to nix this if you wanted, um, and I might not put you on the spot right now, although you're an extrovert and you could probably handle it, but would be um, if you wanted to, um, you know, do a recording or maybe even a video that we could include with this that we could either add just the audio oh. in or add in the show notes of you sort of doing this so we can send have some place to send to you send know i already have go. one made. oh good <laughs> awesome so you're, you're ahead that. of the game i am because i did this because of our situation i already did one and um i'm sending it to schools i have a video i sent to schools that i've already been to where i read the book again at free for them because they've already had me. So I, I made it accessible to their students. And then I've actually made a second video saying, Hey, would you like to be part of the book launch? Um, in May, would you like to schedule me to come in the fall or winter, you know, next school year? And, um, I will go ahead and do the first read of it to anybody, any of your students that want to join so they can kind of be part of the launch, but then I can 
can meet them in the school year and they can get the book if they liked it. Cool. So we'll definitely uh, put links to that, that kind of thing in the, in the notes. I would say my call to action, I think um, thinking through like children and parents and teachers and everything is the word wonder just hits me. Like be curious and allow wonder and imagination to soar and look for it in the little things. Don't discredit the little things when you're, I mean, I remember taking a walk and the squirrel was up in the tree in just a unique way. And I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, that's the squirrel for my book. And I mean, just these, you know, random, random. I love the word random, like just appreciate randomness and, and look, you know, be, I think, children when they're little they see all the little ants on the ground and they're in wonder and in awe because it's right there in front of them and then we as adults we're on a mission we are getting stuff done and i think as the call that i have to all people children and adults alike is to take a walk and wonder you know and look at nature and just breathe um so that's it just really hits me yeah, I I think that I'm the happiest and most alive when I'm able to do that. Just yeah. it, it, it was silly things, right? Like um, last fall, we had this tree with a hole in it. And I think that there was, um, it must have been a dove or something like with a nest inside. And it made yeah. this crazy noise when you would walk by. Um, uh-huh. And so you, you start wondering, like, if I peek in there, or is it going to... <laughs> you know, come out and attack me? Am I going to see something interesting? Like just that, that sense of of that, you know, it's a silly thing. You know, you walk by a tree and a bird makes a noise at you. Like, yeah, but, but for kids, that's all the time. Right. Like I, you think, um, I I think about things like my favorite kids movies and it's always like when they go and, and find mischief because they're looking for it. Right. Yes. Yes. So, and you know, your book, I think, you would ask me what was the the sort of intangible and i think that was it right that was the wait like this is sort of crazy it's a you know a tree that makes ice cream but mm-hmm. that's 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 the throwback to the way our living life as a kid is right like mm-hmm. that that's it was real well all right maybe not everybody had the the greatest imagination, but I think even the kid with the least imagination in the world still pictured the world differently than, than we do as adults today. So. Yeah. yeah it's, it's fun. And I look, I look at books that have been instrumental in my children's life, even like Charlie and the chocolate factory, you know, I just, things like that, it, you know, I mean, the author's a genius, but it's just so like his work is so bizarre and, and so cool. And you just read stuff like that. And you're like, wow, like anything can happen in a story. And I, I love that. And I think with this next book coming in a couple of weeks, um, Isaac and Izzy's Treehouse, I am super excited about this one. Um, I think because of a few reasons. One is I love Izzy. I love that Isaac has a friend. I love the animals. I'm really, really excited to see animals in this one because I love children's book with animals and the first one had none. So just the whole idea of friendship and teamwork 
and um, you know, the idea of wanting that um, tree house to be, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but just wanting that tree house to be just right. And why isn't the tree doing the magic that Isaac knows it can do yet? The tree has its own little plan and it's bringing things together that are even more beautiful than even the tree house. So I just get excited about um, what the message embedded in there can do for kids. Uh, and I tend to be an author that I like to have implicit messages even more than explicit. I kind of like for kids to have to, cause they get it. I mean, I just don't think you should underestimate kids. They get, um, especially when they hit that eight year old age, they get it. Like they, they can dig in there and find these things. Um, or you have read it to a four year old. The only thing they get is it's a rainbow. And I saw a rainbow yesterday and it was beautiful. Wow. And maybe I'll get to eat ice cream tonight. Hey, that's great. If that's what they get, fantastic. But I love embedding messages that can, if a kid wants to go deeper with it and, and see it, they can. Well, and even the younger kids, like they may say, oh, there's a rainbow or maybe I'll get ice cream tonight, but they're still hearing the rest and they're still learning. Like those two yes. things might be the things that they know how to process. Yes. Are excited about, but the rest of it but, still is there. Well, and it's been really encouraging because at schools, I uh, with I always wonder what I'm going to get when I ask the question. I say, okay, what do you think it means when I end the you know the first book with even when the magic seems gone, always remember to look for the rainbow. And I pause and I'm wondering what they're going to say. So my four year olds will say, um, make sure you look for rainbows, you know, because it's hard. They think concrete. But I've had, you know, all the way from five, six-year-olds all the way up to 10-year-olds give me the most beautiful answers about looking for the bright side. And, you know, I've had some amazing responses to that. And I, I don't even have to follow it up. All I say is that was said beautifully. <laughs> That's it. Because the kids get it. And it makes me really, really happy to see that they enjoyed this story. And then as a teacher... I, of course, have to embed some learning teaks in there. So I have to embed the colors and the water cycles embedded in there and the days of the week and the seasons of the year. Things are embedded in Isaac's Ice Cream Tree. Same with um, the next book. I like to put things in that teachers are actually trying to teach without kids ever knowing they're learning. Um, you know, Eric Carl is the master of that. And just even reading his books, I think, influenced me like, oh, you can sneak in things that kids are learning and they'll get it and not even know they learned. <laughs> so they'll just think they just read a story. So I love doing that, too. Yeah, see, that's that's so, so cool, because you know, a lot of the time when you think about a book, oh, if someone said, well, who is this for? Well, it's for kids age, you know, blah, blah. But really, like, it's also for, in your case, then it's for librarians, it's for teachers, it's, it's right. a tool that they can use in different ways. That uh, that's really valuable that I think most parents don't consider when you start thinking about, oh, well, this is this is just a way to keep my you know, eight-year-old quiet in the evenings because he wants to read it eight times in a row. And that's great, but there's so much that you can you can do and recommend with that. So a, a thing that I, I've been thinking about um, is you have this whole sort of history and process with Isaac's Ice Cream Tree, um, and that one took years and years to develop. So with the new book, since it's come out so quickly, like what's what's in store for anyone who may have 
heard or seen your your presentation with Isaac's ice cream tree with Isaac and Izzy's treehouse. Like, so what 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 do you have new sort of coming with that interactive stuff? Well, I. I am so glad you asked that because I actually, the last few schools that I went to, I gave just tiny hints because I couldn't resist, but I, a couple of things hit me. One is, um, <laughs> my eight-year-old Andrew said, um, mom, do you think it's possible? You know, we love ice cream, but we've had a lot of it this year. Could you squeeze in a donut somehow? <laughs> I was like, okay, we will, we will try to work that in. And, um, so it's just been really fun with Rachel, working with Rachel Copendrayer and the art to work that in. And um, I, I have this pillow of a donut with pink icing and sprinkles. And all I can say is when you get to the end of the book, be looking because there's that special treat. And I, <laughs> I will say, I think that comes from when I read to my children's classes because I always read books that I love to my kids classes all all through elementary school and still Andrew in elementary I would always bring a book and then I would bring a treat that would go with the book somehow and they loved when I was done reading getting that cookie that looked like something in the book or whatever so I, I think that's one reason that I cannot write a book that doesn't have some association with a treat because um, I think that's just so much fun. Yeah, the second thing I want to say uh, to that is um, one of the things that has really hit me in children's literature is um, the need and the beauty of African-American children in literature. So Izzy is a beautiful African-American young girl and uh, is becomes Isaac's friend and helper. And that just and again, one of my students, I just for some reason, she just inspired Izzy and um, in my mind. And then I went to a writing conference in Houston with SCBWI, Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And um, Vanessa, Vanessa Newton uh, was a woman that's an author that is beautiful. And she um, uh, was an African-American woman and she gave an incredible presentation. And one of her things in her presentation and again, I've, I had already written the book and it was actually, I met with an author to have critiques and everything, but, and I'd already made Izzy an African-American young girl, but her, her presentation was looking through um, children's books throughout history and pulling up pictures of what African-Americans look like in books and how misrepresented or, or unrepresented they were and are. And it was just like this, wow, confirmation. Izzy is exactly who she needs to be. And um, because children need to pick up a book and see themselves. So I liked having Isaac because a young boy can pick it up and relate. And I like having Izzy as an African-American girl because now the book is boy, girl, and we have someone um, you know, of a different race that is so crucial and just lovely. And I mean, for me, that's, that's part of what makes teaching fun is having kids that are um, different cultures. So I really love that part of my book. And I love that through that conference, it was so, um, it, there was so much affirmation in who I picked as a character. So, um, and then I think just the beauty of friendship and the the magic in a friendship um, that can be made. So that's been, that's really fun. 
And who doesn't like a treehouse? Every kid wants a treehouse, you know? <laughs> I still want a treehouse. I do too. I we, we've say- talked about like, where could we build something like that? That's sort of <laughs> modern, like where, you know, Rosanna could go to write or, you know, just, just to have that yes. like, different sense of in the woods, but not in well, the woods. Yeah. The last spring when I was writing, um, writing it, uh, we were going, the kids and I were going on a spring break trip and I was just Googling um, tree houses families can stay in and trying to find a tree house for us to stay in. And the kids were like, you want to do, you want to spend the night in one mom? I'm like, oh yes, it'd be so much fun. And we couldn't find one. So we ended up going to Oklahoma and getting a cabin. And I told the woman, I want a cabin where I feel like I'm in a tree. Oh my goodness, the adventure that took us on. <laughs> I <laughs> We were laughing so hard with the route that we had to take to get to the furthest, most like difficult place. I mean, we had to get in, we had to park our van, get in a pickup truck, drive with the guy bouncing. We were screaming as we're going down. It's like a roller coaster down and up. We got up there and sat in the top of the um, cabin and we were right in the trees. I was like, all right, now, how does this feel? (laughs) So it's led us on some adventures. Let's just say that. (laughs) Yeah. So, so it sounds like you lead an adventurous life in that way. Like you just sort of (laughs) go with, with what you're thinking of. I I wish I could be a little bit more like that. I think sometimes my kids wish I could be less like that. I'm like, let's go hike in the woods. They're like, what if we get lost? I'm like, we're fine. We're good. <laughs> well, getting lost is half the adventure, better. right? I mean, <laughs> I only worry yeah, about getting lost fun. if it's been a long time. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I told them. I'm like, look, we'll leave at 11 a.m. We've got hours of daylight. We're good. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. We have had some fun. Yeah. I grew up in West Virginia, but you know, it's not like super rural where we are. I mean, I guess some people, if you're from the Dallas area, maybe you would say it right. is. <laughs> um, but I also lived in Annapolis, which is sort of between um, Washington and Baltimore, DC. So there's a little area there that was um, the Chesapeake Bay watershed. And I thought, Oh, I'll just cut across here. I've got to get from, you know, the house to this other place I'm going to. And, uh, you know, I'll just cut through the woods. I, I grew up in the woods. It won't be a problem. And <laughs> maybe an hour and a half later, after walking way too far, I basically ended up back at my own house. And I go, huh, I don't think I'm going to tell anybody about that. <laughs> but but it was fun, right? Like, it was a throwback. It was just me in the woods sort of finding stuff. And it was like I was 12 years old again. So that was really cool. Yes. And those are the memories. So you you said something that I haven't even thought about, which is, would you ever be interested in illustrating your own books? <laughs> I have thought about that because I love art and I had the most wonderful art teacher from the time I was six to the time I was a senior with uh, Mrs. Uh, Janet Wimmer. And, um, and I grew up in Virginia too. Um, and just, she was amazing. But um, I, I think for me, the, caliber of art, the time that it takes to make it excellent. I'm very particular. I, I just think I would not, I would, for me, I think I would lose 
the focus on the words. And that's what just comes. The art would take, I think I would, I think I would lose my joy trying to get it just right. Um, and get the words just right. Now I'll tell you one of my dreams, one of my dreams one day is to write a book and have uh, my children illustrate it when they become adults, because I have two, well, three kids, all three of them are very artistic. Um, but, uh, one in particular has expressed interest. That's a dream of mine, like to get, if it, one of my children gets to that caliber, but, um, at this point, I don't think it's something I want to do. I just, I know the process of writing and how much energy that takes. And then once you have a book, how much energy it takes to make that almost a business in and of itself, getting the word out and visiting schools. And that's where my passion really is. I think I might get bogged down and art shouldn't do that. <laughs> so I feel like I have someone like Rachel and other illustrators too, that are incredible. And I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by them. Um, so for now I'm happy. <laughs> Yeah, and I would say there's something sort of remarkable about the collaboration process in general. It, is. it really is, and like when I when I and that to me it's that's part of the the wonder of it for me is when I send her words, and then I see what she does with it. I'm like, oh, I never, I didn't even necessarily mean it like that. That is really cool. And when I was at a SCBWI conference, um, and Peter Reynolds. Um, no, I'm sorry, excuse me, Aaron Reynolds, the author of Creepy Carrots, he he had just gotten that manuscript accepted with his publisher, and he made the comment that, um, you know, Aaron Reynolds wrote the words, Peter Brown, who is another one of my very favorite children's book authors and illustrators, Peter Brown did the illustration, and Aaron Reynolds said, you know what, I've never met him, and we didn't even really collaborate sent the manuscript and he did it. And he said, you know, it's really, it's really gives the illustrator a chance to do what they feel will do what they read into it. So you could write a story about Isaac. Isaac could have ended up being an animal truly, you know, instead of a child, if I wouldn't have written him as a boy, you know, like they can totally change things around. So they, they always say when you're writing your book, don't get too, you know, you have to picture your characters in order to gel with them and kind of step in their shoes, but don't get too attached because that character is going to change once the illustrator reads it and feels it for themselves and don't get attached to the title and all of the things because all of that can change. And I had to remind myself of that. Rachel was great. She actually um, was super smart in the sense that she went back and looked at our very first version of Isaac when we did it and did something similar. And I really appreciated that because I was like, oh my goodness, that's, you know, kind of what we pictured him looking like. And I love the freckles that she added. And um, I have kids that have some cute freckles on their nose and I just, one of my favorite things about them. So, but it is, you, you can't get too attached because the illustrator can just take it a whole nother way. And it's, it can be a beautiful thing. And just being able to sort of roll with that and realize like it's an opportunity. It's not necessarily taking something away. It's a a chance to, to add another layer and another bit of depth. And I think I probably talked about this in every podcast episode that we've done, but is one of the benefits that you get having the illustrator there is 
they're they're having the reader experience, right? Like they get to interact with it, except that they also then get to like draw what they see, mm-hmm. which you know that's that's sort of like you don't as a reader you don't tend to actually get the ability to sit and like draw out the way you picture the world, but it it's a really tangible uh, piece of evidence that the reader has as much power over the story almost as the author does in a certain way. Yes, yes, very much so. I like the collaboration. Awesome. I, I briefly saw as the final edits were were being done on on the new book just before they went to you, and uh, I wasn't really able to go through them like page by page. And I figured I would hold that hold off until you guys had come back with some stuff. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the actual final final version looks like. Well, and that was the only other thing I was going to th- say, and and I don't know if you want me to talk about this is the whole process of a book dummy that authors make for picture books. I don't know if that's interesting to people or not. But, we can talk about it. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Um, so in my last writing conference um, that I attended, I brought my manuscript for Isaac and Izzy's Treehouse. And one of the activities was to actually cut the entire manuscript apart, like cut out the sentences and put them on in and make a book okay. done. That's and cool. So you actually take your typically 30, let's see, 32 pages is typical of a children's book when you're and but and they talk to us about all the different parts, like the book jacket from and how to count pages and all of that. And they had us take the words and place them, you know, of course, no pictures, but just the words of where we thought a page turn should go. And then. Um, go back and see how we visualize the book because two it's so helpful for two reasons. One is it helps you see where um, kind of when you do a story map and you have a, the um, introduction, the um, rising action, climax, falling action, the denouement um, conclusion. So it makes you put the story in a way that a child is going to want to turn the page and see what's next, keeping with the flow of a story. And what it also does is it makes you throw away words that you need to get rid of because you realize I don't need that there. It take you know, it messes up my page numbers or it's too long. It's too many words on one page. So as a writer, um, that was one of the best activities that we were kind of forced to go through that's tedious. And of course, being the teacher, I brought it back into my classroom and made my students do it with their expository essays to make sure they had, or no, it wasn't expository. It was persuasive to make sure they had their points and their, you know, support. So it, it totally translated into the classroom. But, um, so really it's not just for a picture book, tearing apart your words really make you see, do I have all the parts I need? And can I get rid of parts and words I do not need? So it was one of those activities that really helped me uh, take the book to to know if the book was ready or not to send to you guys. (laughs) So like, do I need to keep editing? Because I will edit till the day you hit print. So I I need to know what else I need to do. Yeah, I think uh, we'll we'll try to hold off on editing till it hits print (laughs) this time. (laughs) Because so, so we have a little more lead time to make sure there aren't glitches like we had at the beginning yeah. of 
of the last one. So yeah, it was definitely a learning experience. For me too. It has been really fun. And um, like I said, I take it, I take it really seriously. I look at it as a, as a family business, like my kids and I, that's been, it's, I would speak to that. I would say that has been something like we're a big shark tank family. Like we would gather around the TV. We like to gather around and watch all these products and the sharks invest. I think my children and I see this very much as our product together. And um, whether they like it or not, I make them come to the book signings and help me pass out Skittles and, um, you know, business cards and everything. Um, I think it's just something that I say, you know, this is this is our family business. We want to keep going with this and growing. And um, I, I hope to see my kids, you know, if, if they're interested still as they get older, do continue if they want to, or if it's not this, something else. I want to model to my children that if you have that desire and you really work at it and stay with it, because this has been a, like I said, um, I think Christian was five, six, six years old when he started this. So we're looking at you know, nine years of all of this. So, I mean, really, you know, since I was a kid, but anyway, the point is just, I really see this as something that we can do as a family. That's, that's so great. And I think like, that's something to a degree I feel like has been lost um, because like families used to work together. They used to, you know, whether they were farming and agricultural families or like there would be a family business or, you know, like that doesn't happen quite as much anymore. Right. And, And that's, you really have a bonding experience with your with your family and with your kids when you're able to to do that. Like, you know, every every little boy, maybe not every little boy, but I'd say most little boys, if they're you know, if their dad's a carpenter, you know, they want to go get the the tool belt and you know the little plastic hammer, you know, from yes. from an early age, and just that like wanting to to be like their parents and and all of that's I don't know that. It has been really exciting and fun. I think it's, it's been, and what was really neat is I was selling the books at one event and the next day my daughter brought artwork and asked, could we put this on the table too, just to see if it can sell. And it just ignites this idea of, wow, I can create something that somebody else might value and enjoy. And, you know, it, it's been a really cool thing. And, they have come, they have come with me to school visits. I've had at least not every time um, because I don't want to take them out of school, but I, I took them at least once with me. They, so each of them have been to at least one school with me for a school visit and they've gotten to see what other schools do, other students, uh, you know, it's just been, and then they've actually read some of the book out loud to the kids. I, I just saved like a special page or Andrew would pop the balloon or something. Um, so they had a, a part in the actual presentation of it um, for at least, at least once. And like I said, they don't want to come to everything. That's for sure. I don't make them do everything with me, but almost, uh, almost every event they're um, with me doing something. Well, and I, th- one of the, the thing you said about, you said your daughter, right? Wanted to bring and put the stuff out. Yes. Uh, because I, I was just, it just, it popped into my head and I don't know why I've never made this connection before, but like kids want to create, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I know that that doesn't sound, um, 
like revolutionary when we're right. sitting here talking about kids yeah. and all of that. Not a novel idea, but, but yeah, it's true. But one one of the things that that gets talked about mm-hmm. in entrepreneurial space, and particularly like with authors, right, is the difference between, or not the difference, but the there is a dichotomy between being a, a creator and a consumer, right? Mm-hmm. So if you sit and read a book, you're just consuming it. But if you write a book, you're creating it. And like our fundamental nature is to be creative. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure where we lose that, but I think that fostering that is really, really great. Like the le- the uh, you know, I'm not one who says, oh, don't let your kids, you know, watch YouTube or, uh, and I think, you know, that we've, we've maybe that would be a long, long sidebar, whether that's good or bad, but I would rather see them be creative in some way than just be passively, you know, absorbing things. And yeah, um, maybe that's another one of those, uh, something special that makes a, a kid's book so special is that it encourages that, right? Like when they're done, they want to go do something. It's not just, Oh, okay. That was a fun story. Well, and that reminds me too of, um, of the famous book, the dots, um, by Peter Reynolds and reading, um, reading that inspires artists. And I don't know if it was him or someone else that I heard say, when you ask a group of five-year-olds, who's an artist, everybody raises their hand. You ask a group of middle schoolers, who's an artist. And the kids that are taking art class might raise their hand. Maybe not even then because yeah, they look around they to go. Learned, yeah. Is it just yeah me? They have learned, wait a minute, I'm not as good as so-and-so. So I'm not really an artist and they, that the inhibitions kick in. And if, if we can do anything when they're younger to appreciate that kid's creativity, whether it's anything, whether it's music um, or even something creative in a sport or whatever it is saying that's a really creative approach. The way that you handled that math problem was so creative. Like you really thought outside the box, whatever it is that main, um, they retain some creativity. Wow. Like foster that because I think <clears throat> they, they figure out who's good at what and they want to stay in their lane and be safe rather than take a risk and fail once they hit me in seventh and eighth grade and especially in high school. So I get those couple of years where they're still a little bit um, willing to go with me and take that risk, knowing that Miss Henderson's really happy and she's not going to fail you if you go outside the box and it's not perfect. Um, you know, so I just think, man, whatever I can do to foster that creativity and that entrepreneur spirit go for it. Think outside the box and push that. Awesome. Well, I love that so much. I think that that might be where I'd like to to leave it if that's okay with you Perfect. because that that just that speaks to me all over the place. So that's great. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you doing this with me. This is great. Thank you for joining us today for our talk with Angela Henderson. For more information about Angela, please check out the show notes for links to her website, blog, social media, and books. And if you check out our website, whitefire.tv unexpressed, here Angela asks us how we find wonder in the little things. We'd love to hear your stories about finding childlike wonder in your daily lives. This podcast is sponsored by Read at Whitefire. There you can read the first two chapters of any Whitefire Publishing Group company's books. 
And if you like what you read, they're available for purchase in print format, as well as electronic formats for all the most popular e-readers. Some books even have signed copies available. And if you're a listener of this podcast, there's a chance you're a good candidate for Platy People, our membership program for unique readers. For just $5 a month or $50 a year, Platy People members get to choose two free books per month, a free novella, 15% off all purchases, including gift certificates, and free shipping to U.S. addresses. Why choose Ordinary when you can read Extraordinary? Unexpressed as part of the Whitefire Podcast Network. Please visit whitefire.tv slash podcast to find other shows we know you're going to love. 